Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Grace Moments with Pastor Rich. I hope that everybody is doing well on this glorious spring afternoon. You really do just have to um, feel for the people of Chicago who are uh, enduring this shelter in place through massive uh, snowstorms and things of that nature. And so even though we are, we're here in Atlanta and we're having to adapt to new life and new realities, um, at least we've got some great spring weather to go along with it. We're talking about grace moments is not just a, um, it's not just a theological word, it's boots on the ground of grateful, available, curious, and encouraging. We kind of launched this series out of a Frederick Beekner quote, listen to your life, see it for the fathomless mystery that it is and the boredom and the pain of it, much less than the excitement and the gladness of it to touch, taste, smell your way into the holy and hidden part of it and all the in in the end all moments are key moments and life itself is grace we got a fantastic topic uh, this is the most common question that i've been getting lately um, as a pastor that we're going to dive into it's a really difficult topic but we got something fun to start out with my wife kelly went to the university of virginia and one of her classmates a guy by the name of Penn Holderness has actually kind of uh, developed a quite the following as a YouTube comedian and singer. And uh, we thought we'd bring just a couple of minutes, like two minutes, a little sketch of what, what, what life was like, he says, kind of on the first day of homeschooling for families and what it was like after a week of that. And so let's watch the video right now and make sure that we get a good laugh. Hey guys, I made a color-coded chart. It'll track your hourly progress for the next four weeks. Dude, get a paper towel. I had a paper towel. Okay, we're gonna start the day by reading for an hour. Then I want you to come to me and give me a summary of what you've learned. Are you watching Love is Blind? I'm learning that relationships are built on trust and you can't learn this in school. Okay, yeah, fine. We are gonna make math fun. It's not mathematics, it's math magic Watch as I make this coefficient disappear. How do you not understand PEMDAS? In my day, we split these up and did long division over here. Wait, this is wrong. There may not be PE or team sports, but we're still gonna get exercise. Fine, TikTok dances are exercise. Sure. You guys are gonna do daily chores, okay? Could you guys just flush the toilet? Could that be a thing we do? Hey, what are you gonna do while I edit for the next four hours? I'm gonna get ahead of my studies. What are you doing while I'm working? Playing Xbox. <sighs> okay. I can't wait to make you a nutritious lunch every day. I mean, it's all about gut health, you know? There's nothing but toilet paper in the pantry. Toilet paper has fiber. Good for the gut, keeps things moving. I worked hard for that toilet paper. I had to fight like 47 moms to get that roll. Enjoy. Good night, buddy. Remember, we're gonna maintain our normal sleep schedule. Okay. Hey. 
You guys, you know what? We need to see this as a gift, as a time to come together as a family in a way we never have. We can really take charge of your education and just be like a family unit in a way that like we never have. If you guys don't give me one second of peace, I will lose my mind. I am sure there are a lot of parents that feel that way, that they're hiding in the closet, they are binging on a pile of chips and uh, thinking that they're going to lose their mind at this point. Uh, certainly hearts and um, you know, uh, thoughts go out to all the different people who are having to adjust to what's going on today. And as we go in today's topic, um, I'm going to try to keep my comments, initial comments shorter so we can have more of an extended Q&A. And so we want to invite you. There's two different tabs. There's a question and answer tab. That's where you put in questions. I'm able to see all of those. May or may not be able to get to all of them. We're going to be done within 30 minutes. And then the chat feature is available for you if you'd like to make a comment, if um, you want to give uh, an amen or a suggestion or whatever it is, feel free to um, participate. We want this to be um, not a dialogue, a monologue, but a dialogue. We want this to be kind of two-way communication. So uh, we'd love to uh, begin today's topic by kind of letting you know that the most common question I'm getting right now is an ethical question. It's the question of how are we going to reopen America? We have taken a, a historic drastic step in the shelter in place and the social distancing. And what is it going to be like? And when are we going to get back to normal life? Well, in order to start to tackle this question, I um, want to let you know that I'm not trying to do this from a political angle. I am not trying to do this from a policy angle, though I do believe that there will be political and policy uh, implications of what I'm going to talk about today. So before I actually get to that topic, let me give you a little background, because I think behind this question is an ethical question. And I want to tell you just a little bit about my history kind of with ethics. The first time I encountered Christian ethics in kind of a formal way was in college. I had this fantastic professor in undergraduate. I was a business major and it was an ethics class. And I can remember the specific assignment that, and that just set my mind ablaze. I don't know if you remember the film, A Few Good Men, you know, starring Tom Cruise and Demi Moore and Kevin Bacon and the incomparable Jack Nicholson. You remember the moment? You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. That guy. Yeah. Love that movie. You can't handle the truth. That movie. If you haven't seen it, the language is a little rough, but we're grownups here and I'll bet you can handle it. But it is an absolutely fantastic. Aaron Sorkin does the writing. Unbelievable film. And the assignment, the final assignment for the class was to watch this classic of a movie and to be able to dissect the ethics of the different characters involved. And our teacher had given us a framework. The framework was that everybody has a center, kind of at the highest of this, they have a center of value. We might call this in Christian theology an, an object of worship. We might also refer to it as your primary worldview. It's the one thing that you cling to above all other things, that center of value, that worldview. And underneath that, you develop a moral framework. And this is where you develop kind of the intellectual and mental architecture 
for determining what is right and what is wrong, what is bad and what is good. And then the level underneath that, out of which your worldview and your moral framework underneath that becomes your particular ethics. And these are the things that you decide. Ethics are basically morals that are kind of boots on the ground. Ethics are the kind of thing that helps you determine in a particular situation, this is the most ethical thing to do. This is the thing that is, that is right. This is the best. And so what we got to do in that great assignment is uh, we got to take, like, for example, the character of, you know, Tom Cruise, who doesn't really care about justice at all. He's just all about getting as speedy of a trial and as quick of a negotiation and moving on to the next thing. This whole thing for him, his center of value was all about career advancement. He's just paying his dues and spending his time as efficiently as possible in order for him to be able to advance his career, which is very different from the worldview and the moral framework of Demi Moore who clings to that individual sense of justice for them. And then of course that contrasts with the character of Jack Nicholson with the ends justifying the means. And so what happened for me in kind of an explosion of imagination and learning was that you're right, every single one of us, regardless of who we are, is out there. We have that center of value. We have that moral framework that we walk around with. And then, and only then, do we get to the clash of ethics of what I believe is right and wrong in a particular situation and what you believe is right and wrong in a particular situation. Well, I took this fascination with me to seminary and continued to study on two fronts, got two of my textbooks with me because I took two different kind of ethics classes here, a business ethics class, economic ethics, and then as well as medical ethics. Now, my wife was actually studying uh, clinical medical ethics and served as the medical ethics intern for the Princeton University healthcare system and the hospital that was in the city there. And so she's actually way smarter on ethics than I am and actually on most things in general because she's always right. But that's a, different, um, that's a different podcast and conversation for us to get into. So all that is to say is this issue that we're facing right now is a, an absolute collision on a massive scale of something that doesn't normally have to happen in such real time uh, with such huge implications. You know, the way that medical ethics in kind of a classic way would be described is you have kind of an, an individual basis, there is an auto accident and somebody is able to harvest a liver from that auto accident and you have people that are waiting on the list and do you give the liver to the healthy 30 year old or do you give the liver to a 70 year old who has pickled his liver through a lifelong of alcohol abuse and has other complicating health issues. And, and of course, that's a really simple example of a decision that most people would agree on. But what if things are not so easy with that? What if the 30-year-old has pickled his liver and you have a 70-year-old that's perfectly healthy in all other ways and, and has a great quality of life as a 70-year-old? And so you end up with different frameworks and decisions about what is right and wrong and those really difficult situations. This situation that we're facing in America right now is like that in a microcosm, but on a massive scale 
with an incredible series of trade-offs. You see, the most difficult decisions to make in life are not the decisions between something that's very clearly bad and very clearly good. The hardest decisions in life are choosing between two really good options. I had a friend one time who called me in agony because he couldn't figure out whether to go to Harvard or to Stanford for, for graduate school. And that was actually a really difficult decision for him. I mean, of course, my pastoral advice to him was to get over himself and to choose one, but they don't let me do a lot of pastoral care. So what the, uh, but the even more difficult decision is between choosing two difficult options, what you might know and refer to as the lesser of two evils. And that is clearly what we are facing in this moment in time. Uh, as the la latest data that I saw uh, is that we have roughly 2 million people around the world that have confirmed COVID cases. And that's, we know that's a woefully inadequate number because uh, the testing that's happening globally is completely uh, not caught up with what the reality is of what we would like to know. That's even true in the United States that we haven't even caught up to the full level of testing that we would like to see happen to know best. We only have 600,000 cases confirmed in the United States, but we know that that number is low artificially compared to what it really would be. And, and we've experienced the horrific you know, reality of 27,000 people or more that have died. And we're still at a place right now where we have about 30,000 new confirmed cases of the coronavirus every single day in the United States. The good news is, is that the steps that we have taken, the voluntary nature of social distancing, the imposed restrictions on shelter in place, have succeeded in flattening the curve is the term that they often refer to. That's the good news. We have bought time for medical professionals and others to catch up and we're hoping for future solutions with everything that has to do with treatment options to understanding who has antibodies um, as well as eventually a vaccine. But all of those things are not fully in place for us to be able to move ahead in full safety. But the challenge is in the complexity of this situation is that there's a cost to the shelter in place through other means. You've seen the headlines with the millions and millions of people that maybe you yourself are directly affected by the number of people who have been unemployed by this particular uh, and terrible virus. And so one of the things that we are trying to figure out is when is it time to get back to work? And we know that there's a cost to reopening the economy and getting things back to life. And uh, what would happen if we did that? And in what way should that actually take place? And so one of the things that's happening is that a lot of good ethicists and policymakers and even theologians and good writers are trying to dive into right now is what should we do in order to, because everybody believes that we still need to provide some measure of safety and everybody believes that we also need to get things up and going again because there are incredible discrepancies in the injustices of the number of people who are contracting the disease, disproportionate of who that affects, the, the vulnerable, the elderly, the poor, 
Um, you've probably seen the same data that I have that it's a higher, um, not just infection rate, but also uh, an impact of that infection rate on people of different races, whether they be Hispanic or African-American. And that has to do with everything from uh, poverty rates to access to care to what does it mean to shelter in place and to have good health and um, in whatever the living situation that they're facing. And so these are really complicated and difficult decisions to make. But I will say that with all of the yelling that is going on in society today, we need calm, faithful, persistent, deliberate, thoughtful voices to enter into this dialogue. And so one of my primary purposes of having this conversation tonight is, is I think one of the things that followers of Jesus Christ, that it's incumbent upon you to do is to read up, to get educated, and to help to be a part of those calm, faithful voices. I want to have you feel free to send in your questions at this time and uh, to be able to do that. Um, so there's a question and answer tab. You can do that. There's also a chat tab, but the chat tab's not for questions. It's for, it's for comments and things um, that are available there. Um, I will say that the most common of what I'm discovering right now is you see a clash of people who basically say we should just open everything up and kind of come what may, that this maybe isn't really all that bad. And you see on the other extreme, you see kind of an overly cautious position that thinks that we should keep uh, the shelter in place restrictions and to the degree that we have them for an even more prolonged period of time. So in the midst of all of those things, we want to take some of your questions and see, um, see what uh, kind of people are thinking about right now. Um, we've got a question here about uh, what kind of recommendations do we read and, and how can we engage in that? It's a great question. Um, I, there's a couple of thoughts with that. One is, is that if you're not reading and watching broadly, and I would actually encourage you to do very little watching, I would do more reading, um, the, the goal of getting you to watch a television program, whether it comes from uh, a, a, literal, a liberal or a conservative perspective, is to keep you watching for advertising purposes. I, I think it's a much more balanced diet if you're willing to read. Um, if you're staying on cable news all day long, I don't think that's a good way to get educated. I think it's a good way to get hooked and to become more anxious. And so, first of all, think about the medium by which you're taking in information. The second thing is, is that if you're just looking to one news outlet to give you the full story, you are probably missing out on the full story. And so you need to also not just think about the means by which you're getting information. You also need to be thinking about uh, the way that you um, are, are getting the different sources into your life. And so I would encourage you to, you know, to not just read the New York Times article, but to read the Wall Street Journal article and to not just look at Fox News, but to also uh, look at other, you know, read the Washington Post or something along those lines. So I think getting a diversity of perspective, and for me personally, particularly on the more thoughtful side of the equation, I think long-form journalism is more thoughtful and reflective than kind of the daily and the internet kind of push for trying to grab you with a headline and get the clickbait for what is there. I'm not saying that there's not good wisdom to be found there, but I have found that I've gotten more out of you know, like an economist article than I have out of uh, some of the other types. 
of journalism that's out there. Obviously, I would also encourage you to read about um, your faith and to be informed in that way. There is a question here about what are your feelings about the government dictating whether churches hold services and the separation of church and state? That's a really good question. And you see the, um, the extreme examples of you know, pastors refusing to stop holding services. You saw probably in the news recently, the bishop who refused to stop doing services who just died of COVID-19. For me personally, I don't believe that where we are right now is primarily a religious freedom issue. I think we're talking about what does it mean for us as a society? I mean, if it would be, it would be one thing if the government was saying, you know what, we want everything to be open, but churches need to be re remaining closed. Um, that would be a form of discrimination that I could not tolerate. But in terms of right now, there's a certain uh, kind of, we're all in this together mentality. And I think depending on the size of the gathering and the nature in which that gathering takes place, the type of activity that it is, is that some activities are more dangerous than others. And we as your church leaders are gonna be looking at those types of questions about as we start to phase back in, you know, I'm, my assumption is, is that sometime in kind of May or early summer, we're gonna to start to be able to phase in based on the information we have now start to phase in certain activities, but it's not going to be a, hey, let's open the doors of the church and we're open for full on business. I think the wisest voices that I've seen out there are the ones that are talking about um, how do we phase in strategically and being able to do that well. So I imagine scenarios by which this could become a civil rights issue for, uh, for churches and freedom of religion, but that's not the primary focus of what I see right now. Someone's asking a very tactical question here, which I love in terms of the, the binary nature of, of these types of things. What would you trade 100,000 lives for 20 million jobs? And that's exactly the type of um, complexity. Now, having said that, I actually don't think it's that simple of a trade-off. I think it's an example of some of the type of trade-offs that we're dealing with. Because I actually think that the longer, for example, the longer we delay the opening of America, I think there's a loss of life on the other end. Uh, so we're not just dealing with loss of life of disease, we're also be dealing with loss of life um, from everything potentially from, from suicide to malnutrition to, uh, to fear of not accessing care that they need. Um, and even the long-term implications of not getting care and not getting the right things that people need now for the long haul. And I think that's particularly true for the poor. If you saw anything like the video images coming out of a Kenya right now, uh, your heart just breaks for a people who are desperate for being able to, um, to have access to resources and to food and to things of this nature. So if you're asking me personally, what is the value of a human life and what does it cost and how do you do those trade-offs? I think you have to sit down and to say, my answer to that would be, we know that we have to get the economy open and we know that there's going to be a cost to that, but we want to open the economy as safely and strategically as possible in order to preserve the, the, number of the most number of lives that we can and to do so as compassionately and, and justly as possible. 
there's a question here about a particular um, member of our own community and we have a custodian. I don't know that I have permission to be able to share that person's name, so I won't do it. But we have a, a long-standing beloved custodian whose wife has been diagnosed with COVID-19. The information that I received today was that this spouse uh, is in the hospital um, and was doing a little better today, or at least wasn't doing worse. And so we are definitely praying uh, for this family within our church and, um, and to make sure that they know that they are loved and cared for and that we pray out for God's healing and the providence of God. And we'll include that in our prayer at the end as well. Uh, there's a question here from a good friend about uh, what would a staggered approach look like for opening up society today? Um, I think it's going to have to take a series of decisions that's going to be collaboratively made on behalf of medical community leaders as well as business leaders to figure that out. So for example, a lot of businesses can get up and running but need to do so in drastically different ways. So uh, an easy example of this is a restaurant needs to get up and running. Well, that restaurant may not be able to have as many tables in the restaurant as it used to. And those tables may need to be more spread out. And maybe the way that we order food and um, would have to be different now than it was before. But I certainly think that there are ways for us to, to engage in eating out that doesn't have the same level. It's never gonna be zero risk. It's never going to be certainty, but where there's a certain measure of being able to have certain measure of caution without closing the entire restaurant. Um, and I think you could point to the same number of things in other, um, in other areas of work, um, in different kind of white collar jobs. You know, can you stagger uh, the number of employees that are on site at any given time? Uh, is there an option of working in different kinds of shifts where, um, uh, can you can you do anything with the architecture uh, to be able to space people out more? Um, there are other types of jobs in the service sector who have been the most vulnerable from contact. I mean, can we thank God for the people who are still working in grocery stores? Can we thank God for people who are still rushing into hospitals, even though they know that the that they're rushing into the exposure? Um, you you also see like one way of staggering approach. I know several doctors who work in areas where um, their field might be considered uh, more elective surgery, if you will. Well, there's only so long that you can put those elective um, procedures on hold before there are long-term health considerations. And so we're gonna need to come up with ways for people to get uh, peripheral kind of medical care and not just uh, the disease-centered care. And so I think there's gonna have to be a real thoughtful, systematic, approach to being able to jumpstart uh, the economy as well as uh, as well as our churches. There's a question here about, seems our ethical stance reflects our idea of what sort of crisis this is. To me, it's medical and health crisis, um, and to others, it's an economic crisis, and they're looking to financial sources. I absolutely agree that a lot of people are operating out of an either-or mindset of those two things, and we need to merge those two things together because because there are health implications to our economic framework and there are economic implications to our health framework. So what is our center of value and what are the moral principles and then the ethics based out of that? 
So for example, you know, as this is an oversimplification, but John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So if our center of value is God, we have uh, moral principles that have to do with um, generosity is better than stinginess, um, that self-sacrifice is greater um, than, uh, than kind of tending to yourself in all things. And so we base out of that, what are the ethical principles and actions that need to be happened that are based out of generosity, that are based out of self-sacrifice. And it's based out of love, which means that it can't be coerced. And so there has to be an element of freedom and of choice in those things. And so that, when I mean that like we need good Christian thinking on that, we need robust attentiveness to the complexity of these issues um, that breaks down the categories of the one group of people clamoring for full open and then the other side clamoring for everybody needs to stay home. We're gonna have to do a combination of the two. I mean, I'll give you an example in, in justice, like we need to get education back up and running again. I know we're about to enter into summer, but think about the disproportionate impact on poor children who have no access to online education. So even if the school is providing you know, resources to them through online education, if they don't have the means by which to get into those resources, uh, we're gonna have um, millions of people fall behind in school and the long-term health economic implications of that are incredibly significant. Having said that, if you're a teacher and you know that being at school is risk, what is it like to serve in a school and how can we do school in a more safe manner? So on the one hand, we know we need to get school up and running again. And on the other hand, we need to know how to keep our students and our teachers safe. It's a both and kind of, of thinking. Uh, so we've got a question here. If so many grandparents are caring for their grandchildren full time, 24 seven, that they have never done before, many do not have technical skills to do homeschooling and certainly do not have energy reserves. I don't know how the church can help them, but they certainly need our prayers. What a wonderful um, comment from someone who's anonymous here about absolutely some of the hidden heroes in what we're dealing with right now are extended family who are coming alongside individuals to provide for them so that they can still um, work. And obviously the, the, the older a person is, the more that they're in a higher risk category and it's an even higher level of risk and self-sacrifice for someone to do that. And we will include them in our closing prayer. Um, we've got a question about is Vacation Bible School going to get canceled? We're working this week on looking at our summer schedule and uh, programs and trying to do everything we can to come up with some good thinking on that. So stay tuned. I think in the next week or so, we'll be able to have more information on that as well as other camps and things like that. There's a question here about what are your thoughts about having services held outside with appropriate social distancing? Um, I, I think it's a really creative idea. I think um, um, one of my dreams has been to have Easter at Chastain Park. I wish the weather was more predictable. If I was in California, I'd pulled the trigger months ago, I mean, years ago. Um, but I do believe that, yeah, there are gonna be opportunities for creative types of thinkings. And like, for example, when the church gets up online more, um, are there going to be opportunities for us to gather in, in person, but to do so in smaller gatherings so that the risk of infection and spread 
is lessened and, um, and even being able to provide some social distancing um, in the midst of that. A couple more questions here, and then we're gonna, we're gonna close in a prayer. These are great questions, not gonna be able to get to all of these. Um, there's a question here about the principle of quarantining everyone versus those who are high risk. Seems like one that everyone can buy into. What are your thoughts on doing this uh, well? I think, I, I think we've taken the drastic step of basically having everybody shelter in place. Some people are full on quarantine. I've talked to some of those people in our church. To me, there's a spectrum of full on quarantine, shelter in place and out and about, but social distancing versus open for business and doing things the way that they were before. There's a whole continuum there. And we certainly need people who um, are going to be along those continuums. So they're gonna be people who are at high risk vulnerability. And maybe the best that we can do is just to make sure that we're caring for those people, reaching out to those people. Look, listen, one of the things, the longer this goes on, that breaks my heart as a pastor is the fact that we've got literally hundreds of people um, with, within, uh, within the reach of this church that don't have regular human contact, that they don't have anybody calling them, reaching out to them. It's one of the reasons why a part of our Feeding the 5,000 initiative is trying to uh, contact everybody in the church over the course of this month to reach out to people, to check in on them, to know that they're loved and that they're prayed for. That's just as important to me as our initiative of feeding thousands and thousands of people. The lines um, um, for people needing food are just growing astronomically in such a short period of time. And of course, we also wanna be feeding uh, people's souls. And so, uh, so these are really, uh, really difficult questions. They're important questions. I know I'm just skimming the top as of right now, but this is the most common question I'm getting as a pastor right now. And I think we need to make sure that there are people of faith who are helping to lead the charge in the kinds of policy and political decisions and commerce decisions and medical decisions that need to be made. We need to bring our faith and the faithfulness of God to the wisdom of what is a very polarizing topic. And we need to pull it out of just the extremes and pull it into the sanity of, of what might be the faithful response of wisely moving forward, lovingly together and to doing that the best that we can. So um, I know we're out of time. I wanna close us in a word of prayer. And so let's pray today. Thank you, God, for this moment of grace, a grace moment of pulling together and to be able to explore a really difficult and important topic. Thank you that likely thousands and thousands of lives have been saved um, from already the, the steps that we've taken. And we thank you for the doctors and nurses that are caring for sick right now. We also pray, God, for the millions and millions that are unemployed and who are facing really difficult other ethical decisions as well as economic hardships. I pray, God, that you will help us to be able to get back to a normal life. We pray for a cure. We pray for a vaccine. We pray for an understanding of antibodies and immunity that would help us to be able to live the lives of hope and trust and love and faithfulness. And so give us wisdom, God, for how not to rush back in a foolish way, 
and neither to live out of the fear of getting back. And so give us faithful thinking and compassionate hearts, value for all of life, all of ages. We do pray, God, for the members of this church that have been directly impacted by this, for the death in the church of an individual, for a couple of spouses that have been infected. We pray for their healing and restoration. And so, God, we, we trust you that you are still on your throne, that your goodness is available to us, and that you will give us wisdom, and that you have not stopped loving your world. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Great questions today. Great topic. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you soon.